Father in heaven, we are grateful for new mercies this morning. We are thankful that um, though Easter is over, we still stand in the power of the resurrection uh, every day. And we pray, God, for the newness of life that comes through your son Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, and the victory that we share with him uh, this morning. That victory that now enables us to bow down before you, uh, to read your word, to be changed by it, and then now to be sent out afterwards uh, into our places of work, uh, that we might extend your kingdom in all places and all things for all people. And so, God, be with us now as we study Daniel. We pray that it would change us and give us a vision of your greatness and your glory and your love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, turn to Jan- Daniel chapter 10. Uh, you can use a Bible or you've got it there on your sheet. And just for the sake, again, of getting our reference, getting our bearings, I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter to get started. Because I think it's important that you uh, begin by seeing a little bit of what Daniel sees. That you get a little bit of a glimpse of Daniel's vision. So this is Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist, a body like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze." And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly love, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have become, I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened and spoke, 
And I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For no strength remains in me, and no breath left in me. Verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And he spoke to me, and I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? But now I will turn to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. The art of war, if you're familiar with it, the art of war is an ancient Chinese treatise written around the 5th century B.C. So for those of you who've been paying attention, that's about the same time as Daniel. Daniel's towards the end of the 6th century. Art of War was written uh, ancient China, 5th century, by a military strategist named Sun Tzu. Okay? You with me so far? I know it's early to be talking about ancient Chinese documents. But stick with me. All right, so this treatise is 13 chapters. Every single chapter is composed and devoted to one aspect of warfare. And even today, it is considered internationally as a definitive work on military strategy. So if you've ever served in the military, especially if you've ever studied in a military academy, odds are you probably would have read The Art of War. Now, I I doubt many of you have heard of The Art of War or heard of Sun Tzu, but you've probably heard a little bit of what has come about from his thinking, all right? The most famous, probably, of, of any of the lines of the art of war is this. Listen to this. So it is said that if you know your enemies and know yourself, you will not be put at risk even in a hundred battles. If you only know yourself but not your opponent, you may win or you may lose. If you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you will always endanger yourself. So you've probably heard something along the lines of, you need to know your enemies. Have you heard that before? It comes from this. You need to know your enemies. But what I want you to see of what Sun Tzu just said, right? What he, what he originally said is not just know your enemies, but if you're going to fight a war, fight a battle, you must not only just know your enemies, you also have to know yourself. And here's our problem. Our problem today is we get up and get dressed and go to work and, and, and lead our families and struggle to live this life. I think most of us don't really know who we're up against. We don't really know our enemy. And not only do we not know our enemy, but I would probably argue that very few of us really know ourselves. So according to Sun Tzu, we're in danger already. But the real kicker is this. Not only do we not know our enemy and we don't know ourselves, but... I would argue that none of us really know that we're at war. We don't even know that we're fighting a battle at all. And that is the vision that Daniel has for us this morning. It's a vision of war, a cosmic war, a battle between God against evil, a war that has been waging, is being waged, and will eventually be won. 
a war that is going on right now even as we speak. And if we are aware of it, it would cause us, just like Daniel, to fall flat on our faces, to be mute, unable to speak. If we were truly aware that there was this great war being fought on our behalf, it would change everything, the way that we live. And so what I want you to see this morning is that Daniel has been given yet another alarming vision. And it's a vision that's going to show us not only is there a war going on, but it's going to show us why we, as God's people, have no reason to be afraid. Okay? So the first thing I want us to see is this, that there is a war. There is a war. I want you to look at verse 1. Daniel 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. Now, before we get into it, I should mention that Daniel 10 is really an introduction of sorts to the final vision of the book of Daniel. So you have Daniel 10, 11, and 12. Those are the last three chapters. And really, Daniel 10 serves as an introduction, an introduction to chapters 11 and 12. And we're told that this is the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So now we have a new ruler over Babylon. Cyrus was king of Persia, or king of Babylon. Uh, his third rule, uh, third year of his rule was 536 BC. Now, why is that important? Well, originally, he was the ruler of Persia, and then eventually Persia, under his rule, conquered Babylon. And that's important, particularly for the Jewish people. Why? Well, if you remember, under Babylonian rule, they were exiled. When Cyrus, king of Persia, conquered Babylon, he issued an edict, a decree. And what did that decree says? You can go home. You've been set free. You can go back to Jerusalem and you can rebuild. You can rebuild the city and you can rebuild the temple. And so by 536, when Daniel sees this vision... That decree has already been issued. Exiles had already started to go back to Jerusalem. And even the temple had already started to be rebuilt. So the question is, why is Daniel not with them? Well, there's a few theories. Probably the best is, honestly, he was old. At this point, he's in the end of his life. He has served faithfully in a Babylonian court, in exile, enemy territory, And he's at the end of his life. And so rather than make the journey and risk his own health, he stays right where he is to continue faithfully serving right where he is under this Babylonian rule, now Persian rule. We're told that a word, if you look at the second part of verse 1, a word revealed to Daniel, again, whose name was Belshazzar, that was his Babylonian name. The word was true, And it was a great conflict. In Hebrew, literally, it was about a great conflict. That word conflict in Hebrew is the same word for war. So we're told that the final vision that Daniel has is about a great war, a great battle, a battle between good and evil. And what we're going to see is this vision is unlike any vision he's seen so far. Most of his visions all in the book of Daniel so far, have centered on human history. Now, they've been uh, amazing, unbelievable visions. 
Like we've talked about in the book of Revelation, now Daniel, you know, beasts and all of these things, but all of them have been symbolic, have pointed to human history. But now the vision is different. So different that it causes a deep reaction for Daniel. This vision is different because it centers not just on human history, but spiritual history. Not just human war, but a spiritual war. A spiritual battle between God and the devil. Ephesians 6, Paul puts it this way. Paul says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul's point is that our fight as Christians is not primarily just against flesh and blood, but there is a greater fight going on that we cannot see with our own eyes. It is a fight not against flesh and blood, but a fight against the rulers and authorities over this present darkness. There is a war going on, a spiritual war. And the first question I think you need to wrestle with at your tables is, do you believe that? I mean, do you even believe that? Do you believe that there is a spiritual war being fought in the heavenly places? Some call this spiritual warfare. And if your only reference for this is maybe this present darkness, anybody read that before? Frank Peretti, some of you are chuckling a little bit. Or, or angels and demons or something like that, right? You, you've got this view that's probably freaking you out a little bit. And what I want us to get past a little bit this morning is not all of the, uh, the Christian you know, horror, the Christian sci-fi, Christian fiction, but to understand there is a real war being fought on your behalf. There has been, there is now, and there will be until Christ returns. And if you really understood that, the question I want you to wrestle with is, would that change the way that you think about your life? Would it up the ante a little bit? Would it raise the stakes? Because I think most of us are kind of lulled into the rhythm of uh, sleep, eat, go to work, serve our families, eat, right? Sleep, repeat. And we do that every single day. And do we realize really what's at stake? Or as we fight a, a fight against sin, right? And we talk about that all the time in this Bible study. Do we realize that our war is not against just flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities? Because if you're going to go to a fight that's really a cosmic battle, and all you bring is your own strength, you're going to lose. Do we realize that we're at war and what's at stake? Could it be that God is fighting a battle, a war on your behalf? And if he was, how would that change the way that you look at your life? There is a war. That's the first thing I want you to see. Second, not only is there a war, but there's a warrior. There's a warrior. Verse 2. So in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. Why was he mourning? We don't know. Perhaps that he's not in Jerusalem, and here's where he is. But we know he's mourning. He ate no delicacies, no meat, nor wine entered his mouth. So here he is. He's fasting. He's mourning. And verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, he's standing on the bank of the Tigris River. 
In verse 5, he says, I lifted my eyes, and behold, a man clothed in linen, a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes flaming with torches, his arms and legs a gleam of burnished bronze, the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. So we see that he's clothed in this linen dress, which is kind of like what priests wore in Israel. But he also has the sash around his waist, right? It's embroidered with gold, right? Bronze gleaming, lightning coming. It should remind us of something or of someone. So in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1, just listen. Ezekiel 1, I want you to listen to this vision. Ezekiel says, an expanse over their heads, there is the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire. And a likeness on the throne was a likeness of a human appearance. And upward from what the appearance of his waist I saw, gleaming metal. The appearance of fire enclosed all around and downward from that appearance of his waist, as it were, the appearance of fire and brightness all around him. And then again in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1, 12. John says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed like a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow, his eyes like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. So Daniel's vision, who does it remind you of? Who does he see? Jesus. Here's Daniel in the Old Testament getting a vision. The same vision that John gets in the New Testament. I want you to catch that. Here's John in the book of Revelation, seeing the end, seeing Jesus in his return. But this is in the New Testament. John's vision comes after Christ has been incarnate, after Christ has died and risen again. Yet Daniel sees the same vision, not just before Christ's return, but before Christ's first advent at all. Here's Daniel getting this vision of the second person of the Trinity, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Just like the vision in Ezekiel, just like the vision in Revelation. And not only that, but Christ comes to Daniel and he appears as a warrior. As a warrior. Why is that so important? For the people of Israel all the hardship they have faced. Think about it. Who's been under their rule? How much have they been persecuted by kings and kingdoms? Just in the book of Daniel alone, under Nebuchadnezzar's reign. They've constantly looked to God, to the Lord, as a warrior. One who is fighting on their behalf. And this comes out probably the most clear in the book of Exodus. The people of God being oppressed by Pharaoh, right? And after they're delivered, after they cross the Red Sea, they sing a song in Exodus 15. And this is their song. It begins like this. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. 
The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. And what's amazing about the people of God, the people of Israel, going all the way back to Exodus, is every battle they've ever fought, they recognize that they were not the victor alone. That they did not win these battles, or they were not delivered because of their own strength or their own abilities. But they recognized they were not fighting against flesh and blood, but against something much darker. And so it was going to take something much brighter and much stronger than their own flesh and blood in order to win. It would take the very act of God Himself. They saw God, they saw the Lord as their champion, as their victor, as their warrior. So I want you to see not only is there a war, but there is also a warrior, a warrior who is fighting on your behalf. How do you see him? Do you recognize that he is fighting this battle for you? Because here's Daniel's response when he sees this. Verse 7, he says, I alone saw the vision. The men who are with me, they didn't see it, but they were trembled and they fled to hid themselves. Sounds like another person who received a vision. Paul, on the road to Damascus. He was the only one that saw it. Nobody else saw it. And here he is, Daniel, alone. He says, my radiant appearance, I love this, was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. I fell on my face in deep sleep and my face to the ground. It's just the same way as John how he responded to the vision of Christ in Revelation 1. When he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. All that it can do is fall at the feet of Christ to recognize his power, his authority, his grandeur, his majesty, his glory. And they fall at his feet and worship. There is a war, there is a warrior. The third thing I want you to see is there's an enemy. In any war, there's a protagonist, there's an antagonist, right? There's one who's fighting for good and one who is fighting for evil. There is one who is the victor or the warrior, and there is one who is an enemy. There is an enemy. Verse 10, And behold, we're told, Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now, for reasons I'm about to show you in, in more depth, and I don't want to get into this too much, it is my belief that there are two different figures being seen here by Daniel. All right? So you have what he sees with his eyes, but then he also is being touched with a hand that sets him trembling on his hands and knees. I think that is a different person. That is not Jesus anymore, but that is actually an angel. Now here's why. Later we're told that this figure, this person who's come and touched Daniel, and his, that this person was delayed. This person was delayed by the prince of Persia, as he calls him. And that he would have been there sooner, but he couldn't because he was held back. And I would argue that Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is held back by no man. Or no, well, we'll get to it in a second. Might not be a man in this case. So it can't be Jesus. And there are some, though, have said, well, this has to be one person, so maybe the very first vision is not Jesus either. Maybe the whole thing is an angel. I'd say, I'd say no. It's 
two almost spot on, just like the Son of Man in Revelation 1. So I think what you see here is actually two things. What Daniel, put it this way, here's Daniel. He's looking with his eyes. He is seeing Jesus. He falls on his face. He has no strength. He can't muster to even be in his presence. And as he is on his face at the feet of Christ, a hand comes on his shoulder of that of an angel and calls him to get up. That's what's going on here. So here we are. Now, who's this angel? Uh, We don't know. We know it's not Michael because this angel talks about Michael in a second. Likely, I think it's probably Gabriel because time and time again throughout the book of Daniel, we see Gabriel come to Daniel, but we don't know that to be sure. So likely this angel, maybe it's, it's, it's uh, Gabriel, verse 11, it comes to me and he says, O Daniel, man greatly love, and understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright. Verse 12, he says, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself. Your words have been hard and I have, be- I have come because of your words. But notice what he says, verse 13, he says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael... One of the chief princes came to help me, for I was there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. All right, so what's going on here? Well, this angel tells Daniel that he would have been there sooner, but he was held back. He was held back for 21 days by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, who could that be? Well, one option is it's just a prince, right? The prince of the kingdom of Persia. That would be an option. But if this is an angel, this is some kind of divine being, would an angel have been withstood for 21 days by just a mere mortal? I would argue no. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. The other reason why we could think this is probably not just a person or a human is that we're told that Michael, we know it to be an angel, is referred to as one of the chief princes, right? One of the chief princes, the princes of heaven, one of the chief angels. So who would be the prince of the kingdom of Persia? Any guesses? Satan. Why might we think that? Well, if you have ever read Ephesians before, again, Ephesians 6, what we just read, Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Before we came to know Jesus Christ, we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Paul saying, left to ourselves, outside of Jesus Christ, you are dead in your sin, and you are a follower of the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That is Satan himself. We have an enemy, an enemy who is opposed to God, an enemy who is named Satan, the devil. And just as we talked about in the book of Revelation, we have to get past the kind of red guy with the horns and the pitchfork. And we have to recognize this is real, this is true, this is biblical, and this is our enemy. And if you don't recognize that you have an enemy and you don't know who your enemy is then just like Sun Tzu says, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And so here he is. He sees this angel. This angel's talking to him. He says, this prince of the kingdom of Persia, 
That is, Satan himself withstood him for 21 days. That's the devil, our enemy. 1 Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We have an enemy, and he is prowling around. There is a battle, a war. There is a warrior. There is an enemy. The last thing, there is no reason to fear. This is where we're going to end this morning. As we talk about this, you're probably having a few reactions. One is, do I really believe any of this stuff? Uh, perhaps one is, I do, and I am uh, totally freaked out. Or one is, I'm just not sure how seriously I need to take this. My caution to you, I think Daniel's caution to you would be, we do need to take it seriously because we need to recognize what is at stake. But we also need to recognize that we have, as the people of God, as Christians, just like Daniel, we have no reason to fear. And here is why. Daniel says, when he had spoken to me, verse 15, according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground, I was mute. And again, one, like, one with the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. And he opened my mouth and he said, oh, my Lord, by reason of vision, pains have come on me. I have, I have no strength. So here he is again. He has no strength, no breath. Right? He, he has nothing to muster in the presence of this vision, a great cosmic war. And yet he has hope because this angel has a message for Daniel, and that message is this, fear not. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Just as angels have become before God's servants throughout the Bible, just as they came to Joseph and Mary, right? Fear not. Do not be afraid. Daniel, don't be afraid. And the way I want to end this morning is just give you three practical reasons why, even in all of this, we have no reason to fear. That with whatever that you face, whatever persecution, whatever hardship, whatever thing that you cannot control today, whatever way that this cosmic battle is practically playing out in your life today, that I think there are three practical reasons why we as God's people have no reason to fear. And the first reason is this. We should not be afraid, even in the midst of a battle such as this, because God hears our prayer. Verse 12, the angel tells Daniel, Fear not, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. God hears our prayers. He is listening. And whatever difficulty that you face, and whatever struggle that you are in, as you find yourself praying and wondering, as I have, and I do sometimes, even as a pastor, is anybody even listening? Is anybody even hearing me? You need to be encouraged today, brother. God hears your prayer. Think about the countless prayers Daniel must have prayed in the midst of unbelievable persecution. And here he's being told, he's being encouraged God has heard you. God hears your prayer. Second, not only does God hear our prayers, but we are strong in the Lord. Look at verse 19. The angel tells Daniel, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. It's one of the great verses that you see a lot of times quoted from Daniel chapter 10. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and of good courage. Why? Why can Daniel... Even in the midst of this kind of vision, this weightiness, be strong. 
because he has the strength of the Lord. See, the thing that we believe as Christians that honestly is a little different than perhaps the way that you've been taught or just kind of absorbed the thought of a spiritual warfare is we are not dualists. You know what dualism is? Dualism says that there are two equal opposing forces of good and evil out there. That is not what we believe. We are monotheists, meaning we believe in a God who is sovereign and is strong and rules over all things, even Satan himself, and has conquered all things, even sin and death, and when one day will return to make all things new. We believe in a God who is strong and is sovereign. And we stand not in our own strength, but in the strength of His might. So whatever you face today, be strong and courageous. Not in your strength, but in the strength of the Lord. How do we do that? Again, the book of Ephesians helps us. Ephesians 6. Paul says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Stand firm. Put on the armor of God, he says, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, <clears throat> right? The shoes on your feet of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. We do not fight against flesh and blood with flesh and blood, brothers. We are fighting against the principalities, the authorities in the heavenly places, evil itself. And we do not fight with our own flesh, our own strength, but we fight with the strength of his might. But the last thing, the greatest thing, and what I want to send you to your tables, the reason why there is no reason to fear with whatever that you're faced, whatever persecution, whatever hardship, whatever way that the spiritual battle is playing out in your life, the reason, the number one reason you have no reason to fear, you probably missed it, especially if you're a man, is you are loved. You are loved. Every time that the angel comes to Daniel to tell him to get up, to fear not, notice what he says, verse 11. O Daniel, man greatly loved. Verse 19. O man greatly loved. The reason why Daniel was able to go into a lion's den and come out alive, the reason why he was able to rise to power in Nebuchadnezzar's court, the reason why he's been able to see these visions and fight on the behalf of his own people, the reason why Daniel has been able to be an exile and to live faithfully in the midst of every single bit of persecution is one thing and one reason. He has been greatly loved by God himself through it all. You have been greatly loved, the angel tells them. You are greatly loved. And so Sun Tzu says that we must not only know our enemy, we must know ourselves. Where who are we? If we know what our enemy is, we know there's a war, we know our enemy is Satan, who are we? We are greatly loved. We are men who are greatly loved by God himself. And that changes everything. Because in love... Jesus Christ died and rose again for you. And by love, John says, this love's perfected in us so we can have confidence on the day of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. But whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because Christ loved us first. 
So brother, whatever you face today, you need to understand yourself as one who is greatly loved by God in the midst of every persecution and every circumstance and every hardship, even in the midst of the heavenly battle that is being fought on your behalf. All of it is being fought because God loves you so much that His Son died and rose again for you, so much that one day His Son will return and make all things new. In the next two weeks, we'll get a vision, a glimpse of what that's going to look like from the eyes of Daniel and his vision, Daniel 11 and Daniel 12. Let me pray for you and send you to your tables. Father, we pray that you would be with us now as we wrestle with things that are um, impossible for us to understand. I'll put myself at the front of the line when I say so much of this is, seems so far-fetched to me as a 21st century American, uh, Western thinker. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give all of us eyes to see that not only is there a war being fought, but we have a warrior, a victor in Jesus Christ who is fighting on our behalf. And may we stand in his strength today, in his might today. And may we know his love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.